Welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Hello there. How are you? Hopefully you're enjoying this series so far. Me, myself and EI, all about emotional intelligence. And this is part six. So we're well into the first area, the first part of the framework. And this one is a very interesting one that will give you lots to think about and hopefully to take action on. So we talked about what is emotional intelligence, why it's important. We did a full episode on self and then two-parter on self-awareness, and there'll be another one coming soon on self-awareness, an interview with a lady called Tasha Yurik. Very excited to share that one. But this one is all about self-assessment and very much focused on finding out what your emotional quotient is or what your EQ score is. And there's lots of different tests out there or assessments you can take, some better than others. And the one we'll talk about today with my guest, John Broderick, is one of the better ones. It's called the Emotional Capital Report. And it is made up of 10 competencies that you will be given a score on effectively, and that will give you an indicator and indicators of where you're at from a strengths perspective on those competencies, and also from the perspective of where you can do some more work. Really, really interesting John's background. He's been doing this for a couple of decades, but he's been in the area of counselling and psycho analysis work for a long time. He's a consulting psychologist and has been working with psychometrics and assessments for decades as well. Lots of really interesting insights that he shares. Most notably, what is it? What is it about? Why is it important to do an assessment? How is it done? And then once it is done, once you get your score, what actions you could take to improve. The tool that we talk about is the Emotional Capital Report that I mentioned. John Broderick works for an organization called Roche Martin and has been very much involved in putting the ECR report together. It's been one that I've been using in my one-to-one coaching for the last number of years and has been very, very useful, very beneficial. Get that baseline, that starting point for uh, your clients to understand or yourself where you're at and where, where you can work on in the coming weeks and months. And typically it can take a number of months to improve this but as I said in the show so far, emotional intelligence and the competencies within it are things you can develop and grow. So hopefully that's enough of a tee up. I will leave it there and I hope you enjoy this one on self-assessments as part of the series with John Broderick from Roche Martin. Enjoy. So John, welcome to 1% Better, this episode where we're focusing in on emotional intelligence, focusing even deeper in on uh, self-assessments and assessments in general. So thanks a million for for coming on to the podcast, John Broderick, founding director of Roche Martin Limited. Well, Rob, thank you for uh, inviting me. It's, it's, I think it's one of my first podcasts, so uh, let's see how it goes. <laughs> I'm sure it'll go very well. And I guess, John, we met through the coaching work you did with us, uh, I think we were talking earlier about four years ago or so. Yeah. And through it was the IMI. Through the IMI. And on, on that day, we went through a full day's coaching and work around uh, the emotional capital report, which yeah. we'll, we'll definitely dive into. What I always love to do, though, is maybe just get a bit of introduction from a guest and, and maybe, because this is around emotional intelligence, where that whole area became important for you, I suppose. Hmm. Well, um, I first came across emotional intelligence around 2001 or 2002. Um, my background, Rob, uh, is counselling psychology. 
So I've been a counseling psychologist for about 25, 26 years now. And around the turn of uh, 2000, I, uh, I'd been using psychometrics a lot as part of my clinical work. So I felt very comfortable with psychometrics per se. What type of one using? Well, either general personality measures Mm -hmm. to help people understand themselves more, understand their personality, or maybe more likely using clinical tools like to assess if there's pathology or if there's disturbed personality or if there's been you know severe depression or uh, various anxiety disorders. Mm So psychometrics would give you an insight that perhaps maybe several coaching sessions or several counseling sessions might take to get to the same point if the psychometric is, you know, usefully and sensitively administered and it's a good, solid instrument. So it it really does get sometimes to the heart of the matter. So I was interested in psychometrics anyway as a counseling psychologist, uh, using it within a therapeutic framework. So, when I first actually discovered and heard about emotional intelligence and started to read about it, I thought, gosh, that's been, that makes so much sense about Mm -hmm. just understanding myself and understanding others. So, I was immediately taken to it. It was like, it it was a lovely compliment to personality. You know, measuring the, you know, the introvert or the extrovert, but to understand the skill set that I had myself and as well as understanding how I relate to other people and then putting that at the service of, first of all, in my, in my clinical work, working with students, young professionals uh, who were just starting out in life, uh, the emotional intelligence framework was, was really special uh, for me. And was it at that time, was it the, the kind of, um, Goldman framework or was there a flavor of that coming? Well, up Goldman or? obviously wrote, wrote the first popular book mm. on emotional intelligence in 1995, you know, with the title Why It Can Matter More Than IQ. Yes. Uh, the model I had used and became first familiar with was the Baron EQI, which was the first published survey on emotional intelligence. And Baron published that in 97, 1997. So it was based on the model of, of well-being and personality. And what are the factors, apart from one's IQ, that seems to support people being successful and getting on well with lo- in life and being able to deal with the demands and pressures of their environment? You know, whether that be a student or a businessman, or a a parent. It was across the board. So that was the first measurement tool that I came across, and and I trained in that. And then I started to use that uh, with lots and lots of different groups of people. Mm. I suppose my experience with ECR over the last few years has been really eye-opening. It's the first probably one I got deeper into. And you hear a lot of questions of you know what what is the real value in in these 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 tools and are they you know answered in in one frame of mind and you get a different result to another and i suppose when you started to get more and more into it how how did you really see the the value coming out of these tools well i think the first value was to help a person stand back from their own experience 
respond to a number of questions or items uh, on a, on an online or a pen and paper, um, and then benchmark their set of skills with a a normative group of other people. So the first benefit really of it is is just to understand and name and explain your own experience. And there's something really magical, I think, about introducing a measurement tool within a coaching or a counseling context, because you're both standing back from, you know, some graphs on a paper and beginning to explore and help this person make sense of their own experience. Uh, for instance, um, the the ECR has some competencies like straightforwardness or relationship skills. And, you know, I mean, an individual score would be, you know, maybe at the normal level compared to their peer group of uh, of the normative group. It could be at a higher level or it could be at a lower level. It could be an area that maybe needs some development. So if someone, for instance, would have like strong straightforwardness or assertiveness skills, so they really tell it like it is, but maybe their empathy skills are they're less paying attention to that, then they may come across a bit like a bull in a china shop. And then they wonder why people don't seem to connect with them or collaborate with them, or they don't contribute their own experience because the person needs to dial down their straightforwardness and dial up their empathy. So those graphs from psychometrics help create a conversation to stand back from yourself and say, wow, what would it be like if I were to increase or be pay more attention to a set of competencies that would build that relationship and and perhaps in some situations dial down my tell-it-like-it-is straightforwardness. So I found that, you know, there's a few ways of looking at it. They, you, you want to know that the psychometric is valid and that it's a good, it follows good, rigorous science and psychology. And the Baron EQI did that for me. And as I began to uh, work with a colleague, an Australian colleague of mine called Martin, Martin Newman, uh, and we started the company Roche Martin, we actually consulted with the, with the EQI in the context of developing leaders and, uh, and working with business people. But what we found over a period of time was that the language of the, the EQI at the time wasn't that conducive to having conversations around business performance. So we developed a, uh, a, a report that would help interpret the results of emotional intelligence and apply it to leadership behaviors. And we did that uh, over a period of a couple of years. And then, and then we developed the emotional capital report. We went right back down to base. And uh, based on a philosophy called emotional capital, i.e. that we need to pay attention in business, not just to the intellectual capital or to the financial capital or the bricks and mortars, but also the value that's in people's emotions and and feelings towards you as a leader, towards your company brand, and towards the customers that 
that buy from that organization. So essentially, emotions are as much a valuable asset to manage and to pay attention to as any other kind of capital within business. So the philosophy of emotional capital and emotional capitalists then was that people who use skills to manage their own emotions in the workplace and understand their own emotions and understand the goals that they're trying to achieve, as well as paying attention to other people's emotions and and working collaboratively with others in a humanistic and in a in a um, a, a, co- a collective collaborative way that they get they get so much more further in their business than if they were working alone or if they were ignoring the value of building those strong connections with everybody in their organization as well as people outside the organization so we call that emotional capital and it's very well described in a, a book published in 2007, I think, by Martin Newman called Emotional Capitalist, The New Leaders. So it's a new psychology of leadership. So we went back with that philosophy and went right back to base and built an instrument that was normed not so much on a community sample of you know so many ethnic groups, mm-hmm. so many males, so many females that would represent the general population. We normed it on business people. So in a way, we were comparing an individual business person's experience and skill sets with peers, and it became a much more accurate benchmark for us. But So that's one, that's one side of it, is having a solid psychometric. But the next, and probably just as important part of, for coaching, using any instrument particularly uh, an emotional intelligence instrument like the ECR. It's about, yes, the instrument is important and it's valid in terms of uh, when they take the instrument. And we know from the psychometric properties, like you were saying, you know, well, if you took it on a different day, would it be different? We know the test-retest reliability of these are properties, psychometric properties of a psychological instrument. So we know that the, the, the change that might happen within a month or within a few weeks. We know the margins of error in terms of how much the situation that the person is in today might affect how they respond to the item. So those properties are known. So we need those good psychological reliabilities and validities in order to understand and trust the instrument. But once all that's out of the way, it's actually more about can you as a coach open up areas of conversation that you wouldn't normally get to that quickly with your with your um, your participant or your coachee. So that's what I mean by the ECR gives you a language to explore your performance in relation to other people's and in relation to your own perception. And perhaps if you were to take a 360-degree multi-rater in relation to how you show up in your brand with your team and with other people. So it's the, it's the, the blind spots perhaps we have. So that's some of the uh, ideas behind emotional intelligence that I've all, that captivated me right away. Mm. Oh, I can I can totally <laughs> relate to that. When you were putting together the competencies, how did you come to decide on which ones to include, which ones to exclude, and how that maps, I suppose, the overall 
emotional and intelligence framework? Well, we did it in a very empirical um, manner. I mean, this is what psychologists do, I guess. You know, so if we if we had like three or four days, and you were to gather up at the time around two thousand and six, about one hundred and forty five peer-reviewed journal articles, you know, published in the best journal journals around emotional intelligence and leadership. And you, you know, you, we, we went through every paper with a highlighter and then we, we looked at what's, what competencies or what skills seem to rise to the surface again and again and again that distinguished ordinary effective managers or leaders from the high performance are particularly ineffective. So when we did that process, uh, about 145 papers and maybe uh, a half a dozen PhD or master's um, papers or theses on emotional intelligence and leadership behavior, 10 skin skills fell out. Um, actually, there were about 20, but when you rationalized initiative with uh, we, the various labels that different models gave to the same construct, the same psychological construct, 10 skills fell out, and they became the basis of the emotional capital report. Not that every skill, every leader has every skill, but but it's a, it's a general measure that without these skills, there's going to be some gap in that person's capacity to lead well. Um, so the 10 competencies then became the basis of the emotional capital report. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I was saying when we talked a few months back, I had just come back from doing mm -hmm. 25 of these with 25 emerging leaders over the course of mm -hmm. four or five days. And when, when I was talking to them, I think the group had somewhat shared some of their scores with each other. And there was that sense of, oh, you know, I scored low here and this person scored higher there. It's not really good to compare yourself to, to others in these scenarios. Uh, maybe what some of the, I suppose, pieces of feedback you get or, or when you're coaching somebody after getting your report that their concerns come yeah. out over. Well, for anybody who's ever taken a psychometric test, a test, <laughs> a psychometric assessment, it can be quite an anxious uh, time in terms of looking at their feedback because they'll always think about well how do I compare with other people and you know am I bad at that or you know the good the bad and the ugly you know we try to remove that kind of conversation from a, a psychometric feedback because it's not about the good the bad and the ugly it's about what are you trying to achieve and what skills or competencies really underpin that behavior or that goal and what skills or competencies if you don't have them would maybe cause some kind of a challenge to you so we don't think it's about having really high scores and oftentimes uh, when we when i teach this to coaches i i try to impress on them that when they're having one of their participants or one of their coaches take an assessment first of all it can be an anxiety provoking moment when they are waiting for the coach to give them some feedback because they're going to compare themselves or look at themselves in terms of some judgmental way oh that's crap oh that's really low oh, oh i thought i'd get better you know that those kind of judgment thoughts so instead we prefer to train coaches to build a 
conversation with the coachee before they ever see their results by discussing with them what are the opportunities that they're facing in their business right now? What do they see where they could really make a and give a strong contribution? And uh, and what skills do they do they need to pay more attention to for that? Or what are the challenges that they're facing? What difficulties that are coming up again and again in their leadership role or in their leadership brand? And if they can uh, identify those very early on in the coaching feedback conversation, and then when they come to the emotional intelligence report, and they see their 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 scores uh, or their competencies as they relate to the benchmark of other people, then the question is a different question. It's well, you know, that competency that's really high. How does that? What does that look like when it's working well for me? Let's say, you know, self-reliance. You know, so if I have really high self-reliance compared to the average, uh, what does that look like when it's working well for me? It's like a muscle. But then, what does it look like if it's working poorly for me? Or, you know, can it be costing me to have such high self-reliance that other people don't get a look in? Or that you know, this self-belief that says, oh, I can do a better job than anybody. Therefore, you know, you won't collaborate as much with people. So high scores can be just as, as, as much a deficit as low scores. So when that awareness is there in the candidate, then they're looking at, okay, what am I trying to achieve? What skills do I need to really be good at in order to achieve that so I have a valuable outcome for myself and my team? And it's about dialing up or dialing down competencies because it's not personality. It's not something, well, that's you either. You're either um, assertive or you're not. You're either optimistic or you're not. That's your personality. We don't believe that. And the research shows that that's not true. These are skills. They may become habits, but they're skills. And by paying attention to how you show up and practicing listening uh, observing, um, pausing before you let something, you know, fly out of you, you, you know, in frustration or annoyance or whatever. By practicing those skills, you get better at it. And over time, it becomes more a part of you. So it's really about dialing up and dialing down. So then it becomes a different conversation. Mm. No, that's a, a brilliant way of uh, explaining it. Something that I've sometimes forget to actually try and impress that on a, on a coachee that it's not all about being on one end of it. It's a spectrum, I suppose, in ways, yeah. really, and it can os oscillate sometimes yeah. as well. So. And sometimes it's a subtle balance between the ten competencies. So if you know, if you if you have somebody who is very, very strong in relationship skills and they're really empathic, but they doubt themselves and they don't back themselves. And maybe they tend not to be that optimistic in terms of the way they speak. Then that's going to be a little bit of a limitation to their, to their skill sets, particularly if they have to be in a situation where they need to take the lead strongly and they need to be able to paint and tell the story of where they want to take their team, they may find that difficult because the relationship skills and the empathy will get them so far, but they need the other skills. So it's always good to look at 
the set of skills alongside the challenges and the opportunities that this leader or manager has facing them at the moment as you coach them. Mm-hmm. Empathy is very I wouldn't say I don't know popular is the right word or not these days but it certainly is is more and more talked about and more more uh, examined and I've been asked a few times when I've coached folks and that they may have a, a score lower on the empathy scale how do I improve my empathy how can I measure my empathy improving or improvements over time what are what are the actions I can take and then how will I know it's getting better what might come up for for you for that or any examples well, let's just start by saying, well, what what is empathy uh, in a business context? Uh, so we often say that emotionally intelligent leaders, they have the capacity to be aware of and to understand and to appreciate the feelings and thoughts of others. So they're able to tune into um, the emotional aspects of uh, any business situation. They listen well, essentially. And they take account of other people's feelings and um, experiences before they make decisions. So they're more sensitive. Um, They communicate their message, but they do it being attuned to the other person's experience. Because the goal is is to... develop and maintain the collaboration with that individual, whether it be a team member or a manager or a supervisor. We know that relationships um, and empathy is the glue of relationships. Uh, relationships are a key to success in our business. So when, when an individual's empathy is low, uh, well, how, what does it look like? Um, well, first of all, a person low with in empathy, they just they're not paying attention to the other person's experience or the other person's feelings. They're they're maybe they're thinking about what they're going to be saying themselves. They're not tuning in. So they may even have difficulty understanding other people's feelings. Why? Maybe because they don't pay much attention to their own. So empathy and self-awareness are often linked. Maybe they find it difficult to connect at a at a personal level with someone else. They're just not used to that. I, I like to think of empathy like a muscle. You know, I, I became a psychologist and then I studied counseling psychology. Well, counseling psychologists aren't born. They're trained. They're trained to sit every day and just listen for 50 minutes and tune into the person's experience and reflect back what they hear. So it's a skill set. Um, so I like to see it as a muscle. The more you you use that muscle, the more it develops. But someone who hasn't used that muscle or hasn't been developing or paying attention to, or maybe they didn't need to because they were buried in front of a screen for most of their day and they didn't interact with other people. They might have difficulty understanding other people's feelings. They may not tune into them. They may not take be appreciative of other people's feelings. And they certainly don't consider other people's feelings when they're making their announcements or making their decisions. Whereas if that skill was improved or developed, they would be able to sit in the other person's shoes. Now, that doesn't mean that you agree with them, but that you're able to see the world from their point of view as if you were 
um, in their shoes. And, you know, when you do that with somebody else and you communicate uh, something of an empathic connection, the person feels, wow, that, that person actually understands me. It doesn't mean that the, you agree, it's just that you understand. And that reduces that resistance to constantly, you know, that conflict that grows in the space between you. Because you're not listening to me. You don't care. All of these things that kind of get projected into the space. So when somebody acknowledges and reflects back the other person's experience, particularly if they're, if they're going through something difficult, it's just, it's like, it's like glue. It really does cement the power of that relationship. So essentially, developing empathy then means, okay, it's making a decision to listen, to pay attention, um, to build that rapport. You know, Maybe it's even for some people just saying hello to people rather than walking past them as if they don't exist. Acknowledging other people, whether it's in a restaurant, whether it's in, in an office or whether it's in an open plan, just saying hello. How are you? And you know, eye contact and being genuinely curious about another person's experience rather than just saying it in a, you're not even waiting for an answer. So curiosity is another part. Become more curious rather than judgmental. Um, what is it that makes this person's um, point of view theirs? And then taking every opportunity to build those emotional connections. Um, being more intentional and seeing if you can understand the other person's position without before you move on. Does that make sense? No, it does. And there's lots of really good examples there. I'm trying to, like, I'm, I'm all in, so I'm not questioning it. But if in, in, in leadership terms, there's, there's KPIs and metrics and, you know, they want to see results from some of this training and how, how when when that's kind of relayed back to senior leadership how can they say well this this leader has become more empathetic it's it's obvious it's the intangibles or is it tangible or is there ways of measuring it well i, I think there are some there are some ways of measuring it one of the one of the best measurements that i've seen globally uh, in a in a corporate situation is engagement skills and engagement scores company engagement scores how engaged are employees and uh, some of the uh, the questions in those engagement surveys is you know has somebody engaged with me in the last week or spoke to me spoken to me personally or you know acknowledged something of my contribution or my work or took me aside and just actually listened to this uh, you know, an issue or a concern that I had that was affecting maybe the entire team's performance. So I think uh, engagement would be one of those kind of global ways of measuring it, but also in terms of customer engagement and sales. I mean, empathy is so important across all businesses. It's a soft skill, but there's, it's not that soft when you actually look at it. It's, it's actually hard to do, and we all think we're good at it. Um, but um, more and more, there are there are studies coming out in terms of um, the impact that emotional and social skills training has 
had on the bottom line in organizations. Uh, on our website, there's a there's a Sky study. Uh, Jeremy Darrick, uh, the CEO of Sky Europe, Roche Martin in the UK has been working with Sky for several years now in implementing these 10 competencies across its senior teams across Europe. And um, recently, um, Jeremy Darrick was, spoke about the impact that he saw in terms of people's sensitivity and team cohesion because of skills like empathy. So, um, in a way, we've kind of got it wrong for a long time in terms of training and corporate training. We used to think, oh, just, you know, train people in the technical skills. Um, but, you know, Goldman called that the billion-dollar mistake. You know, yeah, we do need IQ. We do need smarts. Uh, but that's more like a threshold competency. It gets you in the door. But once you control for IQ, and we call it TQ, or technical competencies, you know, like your MBAs or your engineering degrees, then it's emotional intelligence that seems to separate the high performers or human performance from just average. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Hired for IQ and promoted for EQ, I think somebody else said, I, I don't know if that's Goldman as well, but I've heard it mentioned yeah. a lot. I get a uh, I get a, um, an email to my phone every day of you know where emotional intelligence is mentioned in social media, you know across the UK and Ireland. And um, when I started training people in emotional intelligence, people said, "What? What's emotional intelligence?" In fact, some people used to say, "Is that not an oxymoron? You know, too mutually exclusive? How can you be emotional and intelligence <laughs> at the same time?" But nowadays, I mean, it's part of the language of journalism, of everyday life, of tweets, you know, more and more and more. I I get, you know, 15 or 20 different occasions of just using the parlance emotional intelligence. I think there's still some understanding of how it's developed, how it's used. And certainly, uh, I would be very much against using using emotional intelligence as like a, a Machiavellian skill just to get people to do what you want them to do without them realizing that you're somehow manipulating them. I think emotional intelligence uh, is really underpinned by core humanistic values. Um, so, um, you know, it's trust, essentially. So you can you can fool some people some of the time, but, you know, you can't fool all the people all the time. So a leader that's using these skills kind of in a gratuitous, manipulative way very quickly be seen through because it's not coming out of a place of value out of the the, out of the heart really Mm. no definitely agree Mm. with you there of the 10 competencies and just bringing it back to that is there any one or two of them you see that needs typically the most work for for coaches is there a trend that emerged that one or two might be and I know we're not talking about the lowest scores or, or ones that is the the most challenging for people to develop it's hard to say um, if there's any particular pattern but I remember working with one of the big four for about f- five years and there was about f- maybe 500 in total 
uh, ECRs or ECR 360s, of which I had a data set. And these would be at director level in these accountancy firms. So when, when those numbers were crunched, it did appear that um, empathy and relationship skills for that industry seemed to predictably be less than stellar. Whereas, you know, self-reliance, self-confidence, optimism, self-control would have been higher. Um, we found in a, a leadership study, uh, we call it Leadership Victoria, and it's published on the website, that um, among those young presidents or people that ran large companies, they scored one standard deviation above the mean for most of the competencies. Like, a, like say, imagine if somebody scores 100. 100 is the mean in the ECR and the standard deviation is 15. So if somebody scores 100, they're in the middle. They're at the 50th percentile. But if you scored 115, you'd be at the 84th percentile. So on a lineup of 100 people, you'd be in the top 16%. These individuals, and there's about a hundred of them, now they, they it was quite a, a routine to to select them because they needed to pass several markers or several measures of success in terms of the kind of companies they ran, the turnover of those companies. And um, they scored almost across the board one standard deviation above those means, except there was one that seemed to be uh, around 103, which was self-control. And that was really interesting. The empathy one came in around 108 or 110. So it seems like that uh, for some sectors, like for instance the one I mentioned, empathy and, and uh, relationship skills might not be the muscle that they use the most as a, as a large corporate group. But that's changing, I think, Rob, because younger people that are coming into those big fours they won't stay with the old-style leadership approach. They want to be recognized for what they're contributing. They want to make a difference. They want to be understood. They want to be included. And um, more and more, I think, those companies and those organizations um, that hire smart and emotionally intelligent graduates are changing. And uh, one person from one of those companies, I met, I met her recently. She was the, uh, the HR director. She said, when we started using the ECR almost 14, 15 years ago, way back at the beginning, those people that were directors at that stage, they're now becoming partners. And there is a marked difference in the climate of that organization as a result because They've grown up with emotional intelligence, being measured by the ECR 360 and being coached to develop that more holistic, rounded approach to leading people. So that was, a, that was an interesting um, comment that she made, which I got and I understood. And it's great because obviously anyone that maybe that, that, that leadership level now are bringing into the organization are focusing in very closely on those skills that that they're bringing in so that the next wave coming through are are tapped into it just a couple of quick ones before we wrap up john it's been really interesting when somebody takes the 
ECR, what's the recommendation on when they could take it again to see if there's been changes or improvements? Are they talking six months down the road or is there any guidelines around that? Well, the short answer is uh, six months to a year, nine months to a year. It would be useful to take it again. But there's a condition. If if you take the ECR and you know you have a good coach who works with you and really embeds the awareness of that and there's a decent detailed conversation around how that translates into their everyday work and their impact and i've had this experience that they go around for the next couple of weeks actually thinking about how they're showing up and we actually help to do that by um, by these things we call smart coach modules where they can go in online and they can look at and practice the skills again and again and again over time so if it's embedded and if it's thought about and it kind of catches and grabs your awareness and your intentionality and your motivation to change then even two months might show significant differences on the old scales it's like when you're on a serious you know muscle building program in the gym Mm -hmm. you'll see you'll see definition pretty quickly Mm-hmm. Unless you're my age. <laughs> uh, uh, on the other hand, if somebody takes the ECR and, you know, they just like looking at themselves in the mirror and then they walk away and they forget what they look like mm. and they never think about it again, it doesn't matter how many ECRs they take. It's not going to change. So you get it. Um, you know, it doesn't really, emotional intelligence isn't like, isn't developed in a workshop. It's developed, you know, Practice by practice, you know, um, synapse by synapse, because it's the brain that's changing. And, you know, the more we repeat something, it becomes a habit and we get better at it. So it depends, really, if the, the goal, I think, of the coach uh, is to is to really uh, help the person see the value of what it would look like if they were to, you know, pay more attention to those skills, those quote unquote soft skills, and then after a period of time, supporting them with coaching, supporting them with the building blocks of how to grow that skill, like trust or building trust, or how to become more straightforward, and practicing that until it becomes much more part of them, then they don't look back. Um, and uh, you'll certainly see in the ECR a... Uh, a difference after six or eight months of that. And if you take a 360, where ideally the same individuals, those people of the raters, your peers, your direct reports, your managers and others, if they had the opportunity to rate you again, you'd, you would, we've seen um, significant increases of, you know, uh, eight or 10 T-score points in terms of, um, the impact that a well-placed psychometric and solid coaching um, can uh, can achieve. Yeah, so it's the getting the baseline, then with your coach working, taking action, disciplines required, yeah. hard work to, to get there, put a plan together. Yeah. You know, that's where my background in project management as well comes into yeah. handy because you put the plan, lay yeah. down what you need to get done and do regular checks. If you can't measure it, you can't manage it. Mm. But it's no point in measuring it 
if you don't have a plan to manage the development and the and the utilization of it. So our ECR report has a, has an introduction, it has the 10 competencies, but then it has a page of descriptions of what that competency, and we take all the psychology out of it. What does that look like uh, and likely to look like in your leadership role of managing people and managing yourself? And then we put a lot of coaching tips to help the coach as well. Um, but at the end of the report, then there's an action plan, seven steps to take. So in a, in a good coaching session, you know, you'd end up with the action plan. And that becomes really the marching orders or the, the goal or the strategy for the, for eight or 10 coaching sessions over the next six months after that. And then if they use the building blocks of the smart coach online, they really, really fortifies and strengthens that behavioral change because it's not, uh, it's, it's not a mystery anymore. Well, how do I get good at this? We, we now know we have a backstage pad, path, path to how these skills are built. And um, it's not rocket science. Yeah, but that's often the eye-opener at the end is when the client realizes, oh, God, I actually have to do work now after, you know, and that's where the real rubber hits the road. Yeah. They have to put the effort in. Yeah, and that's where coaching really, yeah. really comes in in terms of creating that space to increase their self-awareness and to reflect on their experience. So we think it's action, reflection, action, reflection. That model of, that's how adults learn, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. John, that was fascinating. Thanks for helping, hopefully, the listeners get a good understanding of why doing a, an assessment in the areas of emotional intelligence would be important. Maybe just to wrap up how folks can get in touch with you, learn more about ECR, the 360 website and things like that. Yeah, if you're interested in using the ECR, then you can go to the, um, the Roche Martin website, www.rochemartin.com. And... Uh, contact the Irish office and we'd be happy to help you. Brilliant. Thanks so much, John. Appreciate it. Thank you, Rob. Thank you. Hey, folks. Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, could you please consider helping me extend the reach of the podcast that a little bit further? You can do that in a number of ways. The number one way is to subscribe on your app of choice. This helps me with the chart ranking leading to more folks stumbling across the podcast and checking it out. You could also repost it on your social media channels. Any of them would be great. And maybe even tell a friend in person or over the phone, pick up the phone, give them a call and tell them about the 1% Better podcast. Tell them about this episode or one that you've heard in the past. Any will do. I would really appreciate it. In the last year, we set up a 1% Better Slack community, which you can join for free and interact with me and other members of the community and improve through holding each other accountable and sharing monthly challenges. It's a lot of fun. Check it out. I'm into season four of this incredible journey and the more of these interviews and solo shows that I research, record and share, the better I believe that they get and more loaded with actionable takeaways that you can learn from. I know I've learned so much from it so far and it's always really, really fulfilling and rewarding when I hear from you on what you took from it. So do reach out, rob at robofthegreen.ie. And of everybody that listens, 90% listen and enjoy, but only around 10% actually take action, write down takeaways and put them into practice. I am convinced that if we can move that number a bit higher, 
the listeners will not only make steps forward towards their goals, but they will be more fulfilled and happy and better. Change doesn't happen overnight. It is hard, but it's all about taking the first step, whatever that is for you. You can absolutely do this. Make a plan, be deliberate, take action. Don't overreach. Start with those small incremental improvements and over time you will see great progress. It's all in the pursuit of betterness. So again, thank you so much for listening. Good luck and stay safe.